Greetings in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. I uh, enjoyed and was inspired and encouraged by uh, the things that we've heard so far. My mind had to ponder and wonder a bit along some various veins of thought. You know, in the devotional, we um, we observed three different men's lives. And God had a call on all three of them. And we observed a bit how each one of those responded and uh, processed and worked out that call. And then I, uh, we had the children's class there and, and, uh, we had a, a gentleman putting out the test to see whether he could trust some young men with his goods and with his business and with his, uh, needs. And, and I couldn't help but tie those two together. How God, you know, Can God find faithful men, faithful women? Does God, in fact, test us before He entrusts us with responsibility, with a calling? I think we all agree that we all have callings in life. It's not just uh, the one who holds a title of a pastor or a deacon or or uh, whatever, that have a calling in life. We all have callings. The Scripture tells us that we are all gifted. The Spirit gives gifts. And uh, I just I couldn't help but let my mind wander a bit. Uh, just picturing God, he's, he's got a gift He wants to give to someone. and So maybe He tests them in little ways, you know, just puts out a little coin and see if they're going to be faithful with that. And then a little bit more and a little bit more. And... Uh, Yeah, it's kind of challenging and kind of encouraging, but, uh, but definitely challenging that, uh, you know, as God is up in heaven and his church, his body is here on earth and he has, he has things he wants to accomplish through that body. And he knows that we, we uh, he doesn't want Samsons who just ram through in their own strength. He wants Pauls who are uh, yielded men to him that he can then gift and equip to carry out that work, to carry out that calling, to, that uh, the church and the kingdom of Christ would continue as as he desires and and intends. In this uh, day that we live. So, I guess just uh, drop that little encouragement and challenge on all of us in the beginning here. That as God looks in our lives and and looks at the, or as we consider the, the gifts and the callings that God may have in our lives, that we would, uh, we would find within our hearts to Yield to God and endeavor to fulfill, not in our own strength, not in our own abilities, and not to draw back, but to, uh, by the grace of God, 
fulfill the ministry, the callings that he has in our lives. So, that's my summary of what we've heard this morning. I, uh, I was encouraged. I was greatly encouraged. It blessed my heart, challenged my heart, and I thank God for it. I would like to extend a welcome to all of you, especially you who are here as guests today. May God bless you and may you, may you be inspired in, in the Lord Jesus today and in his salvation and in his uh, purposes and kingdom. Perhaps we could stand and uh, pray. <clears throat> Eternal Father, we, we are a representation here this morning of your people, of those who confess to love you, to know you, and to walk with you. Today, Father, we have come We've come with a desire to be instructed in the, in the ways of Christ. We've come, Father, with a desire to hear, to hear from your heart to our heart. We've come, Father, to perhaps for many different reasons, Lord. And even, and you're probably, the only, you're the only one who understands why we're all here and why each person is here. Father, today again I ask that, uh, you, by your Spirit, would minister to each heart. I ask, Father, that you would rebuke Satan away from this place, that he would not hinder the progress of your word in our lives and in our experience, that your word could find fertile soil, and that we could be nourished in the things of Christ. So, Father, this moment again, we commit this time to you. Thank you for what we've heard already. Thank you for the brothers who have shared with us. And now we ask again a blessing on this hour that the word would come by your spirit. I ask that you would fill and use this vessel of clay to open up our understanding of your truth. And, Father, open it up even beyond my comprehension. Our limited understanding, Lord, would you, by your Spirit, take us even beyond that. And, Father, I pray that each, each heart, each person could leave this place sensing that they have, they have met with you, that their spirit and heart could be encouraged, that you care for them, that you love them, that you desire to bless them and continue to use them in your kingdom for the furtherance of your kingdom, for the furtherance of the testimony of Jesus upon earth. Lord, grant us this blessing. We ask in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. You may be seated. You can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. 
I do uh, I do want to say thank you to those who are in my prayer group on Wednesday evening for your prayers. I've been working through the book of Ephesians, and when I started the book of Ephesians, I thought this is the most blessed book to preach from. And it it began very well, but in the middle somewhere, I'm not exactly sure why, but God allowed me to experience some very difficult moments. And it's not easy to to open the Bible to study. And you read down across the page and it just seems dead. Just seems dead. Just seems like nothing speaks. Just seems like there's nothing there to get. And uh, I was experiencing some of that. And I opened my heart to the brothers. And God was gracious. I I do want to I do want to give God thanks for for bringing me out of that desert and uh, allowing my heart to be soft before him and allowing the word to again speak and just, uh, yeah, that sense of connection, that sense of of knowing that that uh, God is moving me and I'm not trying to do something in my own strength. <clears throat> One of the challenges in this book, just for example, here in Ephesians chapter 5, the, uh, the subject matter in the first few verses here speaks of basically the walk of the world, fornication and uncleanness and filthiness and whoremongers and covetous and all those things. And uh, if we uh, go back to chapter two, we have some of the similar concept in verse, or excuse me, chapter four, verse seventeen, where it talks about the Gentile and how he walks in the vanity of his mind and his understanding is darkened and he's alienated from the life of God. And if we go back to chapter two, we have the uh, verse two, walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And so by the time I got to chapter 5, I was starting to feel like I was repeating myself. You know, we're we're looking at same subjects over again. And it was a a battle in my heart to know, you know, when I tackle a a book, I don't want to skip anything. And I'm not exactly sure where we'll all go with all this yet. But I'm just kind of opening my heart and sharing a little bit what goes on sometimes. And that, that struggle of feeling like, well, we already talked about the Gentile. We already talked about 
the sins of the Gentile in various ways. Now, what do I do with these scriptures? Do I repeat it again? Or, uh, or what, you know, what do we do? <clears throat> so, just tiny little windows into, into, uh, my heart. But, uh, but more than that, I am, I am thankful that, that God has allowed, like I said, allowed, allowed me to sense or to be broken in heart and, and, uh, I don't understand God's ways, but I, I haven't sat in a worship service that has ministered to me in such depth as it did this morning for a little while and, uh, God is, God is good. <clears throat> So, our message for today, let's begin by reading the first six verses of Ephesians chapter 5. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. We will stop there. We do have a subject in these verses that we'd like to speak about today. Uh, We are not going to do an expository type message, but rather taking out a subject out of these verses. It's a subject that uh, is important, and uh, so much so that Paul concludes his thoughts there, his warnings, in verse 6 by saying, Let no man deceive you with vain words. Basically, uh, presenting the, the reality that there will be deceptions concerning these truths that I have just Presented to you, and uh, he warns us not to uh, uh, to heed those deceptions. It's a subject that touches every one of us here today. Perhaps the little ones in our laps aren't particularly touched by it, but sooner or later they will experience it. It's a subject that seems hard at times, even to put our finger on. And actually identify it. And I would have to say that it's a subject that I wrestle to understand fully. There are those kind of subjects in the Bible that we feel like we maybe understand them in part and yet we grasp to understand better what does God exactly mean. It's a subject that affects the greatest or the least among us. It affects the richest or the poorest. It affects the servant or the master. It affects the male or the female. 
the young or the old, the married or the single. We all have to reckon with it. And the Bible qualifies this particular subject as idolatry. It qualifies it as that. We find it in verse 3 when it tells us that uh, covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. We go down a little further. Verse 5 is, speaks of this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. There it qualifies this matter of covetousness as idolatry. I've titled the message today, The Sin of Covetousness. As I pondered it, I looked back in, uh, into my messages over the years a bit, and I don't know that I have ever dedicated a message to this subject. I'm not aware that I have. Maybe someone remembers better than I do. I didn't notice any titles that caught my eye as having been such, though I didn't scan them very closely at all. But uh, the sin of covetousness. We'd like to uh, spend a little bit of time today and try to understand what it is. What is covetousness? The Bible speaks of it quite a bit, and we'll look at various verses, various scriptures, um, and endeavor to understand what it is. Endeavor to, under, endeavor, to under, endeavor to understand some of the areas where we are tempted to covetousness. And of course, we want to end with what should we do about covetousness. <clears throat> Here's a verse that was already quoted, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have, for he saith, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I'd like to just focus on that word content for a moment. Be content. Covetousness obviously is the opposite of being content. Be content with such things as ye have. So covetousness obviously has to be the opposite of that. The Greek word for content, that Greek word that is used in this scripture for content, is translated in uh, four different words that I have here in our English Bible. It is translated to content, be content. It is translated sufficient. It is translated enough. And it is translated sufficeth. So, it's a picture of uh, satisfaction, you know. It's a picture of, uh, and in fact, maybe we could, uh, maybe we could illustrate it. Let's just, uh, we'll, we'll draw a box here, and 
we'll put me in the box. And everyone can personalize that. You're in the box. And in that box is everything that's you. You know, it's your personality, it's your gifts, it's your possessions, it's everything you own. It's everything that represents you. And, uh, and obviously that, you know, I trust that, like this scripture says, be content with such things as ye have, for he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Included in that is your faith in God, in this box. And so, what God is saying in that verse is that whatever you find in that box at this moment, there should be a, an attitude of satisfaction and contentment with whatever is contained there. There should be, whether it is a lot or whether it's a little, whether you, you know, whether it's, uh, Spiritual gifts or natural gifts, whether it's, you know, whatever it is about you, there should be something about you that is content. Uh, it is satisfied. It is, there's, there's a satisfaction about you. You can look at life with a, a bright face because you're satisfied. There's not an underlying dissatisfaction about life, about God's provision, about what you've earned last week, or about, you know, it's, it's not there. You're satisfied. There's a, an air and sense of satisfaction about you. <clears throat> Covetousness is the opposite. It is not satisfied. What is contained within that box is not sufficient. And there is not a rest in the spirit of that me. But there's an unrest. Exodus, in, uh, when God gave the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament to the children of Israel... The last commandment that he gave them is found in Exodus 20, verse 17. He says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So let's put your neighbor's box on here. This is your neighbor. We'll try to draw the box about the same size. Um, Neighbor, neighbor, neighbor. My family don't like when we spell things wrong up here. Keep losing where it is on my paper. I think we got it right. Okay. So there we have your neighbor's box. And God, in uh, the Old Testament days, He told them that uh, they should not covet 
what's in their neighbor's box. They should not covet what their neighbor has. They should not desire it for themselves. They should not, uh, uh, yeah, look at their neighbor and, and, uh, long to have what he has. That's, you know, it's, 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 uh, the opposite of, of being content. It's the opposite of being at rest in our spirit. And so God warns His people about that all through the years. We have examples in Scripture of where, you know, covetousness was present. Uh, one of the earlier examples is that in Joshua, where uh, Joshua 7.21, I think you're all familiar enough with Scripture to know this story. It's where Israel, uh, they went out and lost the battle, the second battle, when they uh, were moving into the promised land. They won the first battle and the, they lost the second one. And of course, then they inquired of God why they lost this battle and God told them there's sin in the camp and they had to find out where the sin was. And here's the words of Achan in, in uh, Joshua 7.21. He says, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold, of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Now here was something that was not his. And it was forbidden to be his. It was uh, He was not allowed to take it. They were not allowed to take any of the spoil. It was to be destroyed. But he saw something. And he desired it. He coveted it. He wanted it. It was outside of his box. But he wanted it in his box. And so he took it. Of course, that was a high price that he paid for that. And uh, not only him. Others paid the price as well. A number of men, quite a number lost their lives and his whole family lost their lives. It's an example of uh, covetousness. We have another example in 1 Kings, and maybe you can turn to this verse, 1 Kings 21, verse 4. Sometimes when we turn to the Scripture, it rivets in our minds better. And this one is a familiar one. Again, 1 Kings An example of covetousness. Here there's a a man who has a vineyard right out by the palace. Verse 1 says of chapter 21 of 1 Kings. It was Jezreel's, or the uh, Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, and it was hard by the palace of Ahab the king. And uh, you know how it is when there's some land right alongside of yours. It's kind of nice sometimes to add it to your plot, you know, and you can do some things with it. Well, Ahab wanted this piece, 
And, uh, of course, the owner didn't sell it. So what does Ahab do in verse, uh, in verse 4? Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down on his bed and turned away his face and would not eat bread. Now, is covetous always that obvious? Do we always manifest it so boldly? (laughs) We don't, do we? This was a very obvious case. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of childish, we would say. But, again, the heart of man. The heart of man. There it is. Boy, that would be handy to have. Boy, boy, I'd sure really like to have that. Boy, I could, I could just extend my gardens further and I would, when I take my morning walk, I could walk further among the gardens and the pools of water and flowers and, Oh, that would be so nice. I just really want that. I'm going to get it. I'll go get it. Uh, no, that's, that's part of my family inheritance. My father's had this land. Uh, it, it wouldn't be right for me to give it away. It's part of the family's. But I want it. No, no, I can't have it. I will go home, crawl into bed and sulk covetousness. Yeah, it's not always that obvious. Maybe we don't always, maybe we can stuff it down in more. But, uh, no, it really doesn't matter if it's obvious or not. It's obvious to God. All right. Um, here's a scripture in Second Peter 2, verse 14, where Peter just kind of is giving a uh, an analysis of of uh, of, uh, of a uh, departed uh, <laughs> departed a generation departed from God, he says, uh, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, and I simply draw that. Scripture out to consider for a moment exercised with covetous practices. You know, uh, covetousness can can become a way of life. We can exercise ourselves in it and it grows on us. We can, you know how it is, something that we exercise strengthens. And here we have a people that exercise themselves in covetousness. It strengthens and it increases in, in, their, in their lives and in their experience. It's a dangerous thing. <clears throat> and heart exercised with covetous practices. Let's now turn to Luke chapter 12. We'll read verse 31, or excuse me, verse 13. Luke 12, verse 13. 
to verse 21. Verse 13, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, those that were standing by, I believe, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. So here we have a scripture where Jesus teaches us and warns us concerning covetousness. There's a sense in which this this uh, illustration, this uh, parable that he gives us, actually takes on a different twist. Notice that the neighbor is not necessarily, or the, the gentleman is not necessarily looking at his neighbor and wishing for something his neighbor has. He's not necessarily looking outside of his box, desiring something in his box that's not there. He's actually looking within his box. And he's being covetous with what's inside the box. He's being selfish with that. And so the whole subject takes on just a little bit of a different uh, light in this scripture. That of retaining what I have for my own enjoyment. Retaining what I have for my own enjoyment. You know, my crops... They look good. They're doing well. They're bushelling more than I expected. Why well, I worked hard for it. I deserve it. It's just the reward of my labors. You know, with all the profit and from those crops and everything, well, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be set pretty good for a while. You know what? We can we can enjoy some things that we didn't used to enjoy. We can. We can do some things that we didn't used to be able to afford to do. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to enjoy this increase. Covetousness takes on a new twist. I worked hard for it. I'm going to enjoy it. It's mine. I deserve it. 
You know, this, uh, this scripture, if there's any scripture that comes just very, very close home, this one does, doesn't it? Where we live. We live in a prosperous land as such, you know. We put that in parentheses. Uh, we have experienced over the years, in our lifetime, in my lifetime, we have experienced basically prosperity. We have not known major, major hardship. And it is easy to develop that kind of mindset that this is life. It's good going. I can, if I can make a hundred this way and I increase it tenfold, I'll increase my profit tenfold, you know. It's just the way things are where we live, where you and I live. It's the mentality, it's the concept, it's the the driving matter. And this one gets kind of close home. Where we we focus on what's inside the box. And we become selfish with that. We're not even looking outside the box desiring what our neighbor has. We're looking inside the box and becoming selfish with that. And focusing on increasing that. Not from our neighbors, but just by our own uh, wise investments, good business stewardships, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, we make the box bigger, we increase it. It comes close home for us. We have this scripture in Colossians 3 5 that just kind of confirms again what Ephesians told us that uh, says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And of course, Ephesians 5.5 5 gave that same comment, nor covetousness, which is idolatry. And we're, we'd like to consider that a bit. Maybe before I go on into that thought, we're going to go there. We're going to talk about covetousness and why, why it relates to idolatry. But you know, this whole matter comes really close home, like I said, and I just thought of an illustration that I felt I should share. You know, when we talk about these truths, we want to be open uh, with our own experiences. Several weeks ago, uh, well, I, you know, I, do, I did some crop farming last year, and I, have, uh, I had crops to sell. Had no livestock to feed him to. And of course, I'm 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 normal. I'm human. I, I like to get the, sell it on the day when the price is up. And uh, several weeks ago, and uh, you know, obviously one of the things you do is you don't sell it all at once, so you can hit different points in the market. And and uh, you know, and 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 what we're talking about here, I don't in this scripture here is not necessarily speaking about. Uh, the everyday work of business and, and planting a crop and getting the increase and selling and all this kind of thing. That, that's not necessarily what Jesus is, is hounding us about in this scripture. But anyhow, just where the rubber meets the road. There was a, the end of a week, two, three weeks ago, I don't know, remember which week it was, that uh, grain prices just took a little little spike up. Soybeans did. And... Uh, 
I considered selling some, but I thought, ah, well, we'll just wait till next week and see what happens. And, and uh, Monday was some kind of holiday. I don't know what it was, some kind of government holiday. And I, and I, I, I was of the understanding that the uh, marketplaces aren't open Monday, and I didn't realize that markets move even if they aren't open. I'm not, a, you know, I'm kind of new at this again. I hadn't been in farming for a number of years. And so I don't follow it big time, and I don't intend to. But I followed, did follow it just enough to uh, to uh, uh, stay abreast with it just a little bit to kind of determine which day, which is a good day to sell some grain. And my uh, my source of information wasn't real dependable. But anyway, in that process of time, the markets dropped again. Now, if I'd have sold them on that Friday, I'd, I'd you know. They dropped again, and, and, and I could have had a, a few extra bucks in my pocket if I had sold them that Friday, rather than waiting till Tuesday. <clears throat> now, the question is, am I still content since I sold them for a little less than what I could have on Friday? Is my spirit still at rest, still satisfied, still content? Or is there that, oh, if only, if only. Think what we could have done with those couple hundred bucks. Boy, that was a dumb move. Comes comes home, doesn't it? Covetousness. Oh, I covet those couple hundred dollars. Never mind what I did get for them, but just a couple hundred dollars, they would have been easy money. No sweat for it. Covetousness. Comes home. All right, let's go on with our thought on covetousness and why does the Bible identify it as idolatry? Colossians 3 verse 5, covetousness which is idolatry. Ephesians 5, 5, nor covetous man which is an idolater. Let's ask us the question, what is idolatry? Well, a simple definition is idolatry is worshipping idols. That's a simple definition. Uh, You know, the idols, well, I I shouldn't say that. Sometimes we say that the idols that, uh, that Americans worship are not as obvious as the idols that Africans worship. But I kind of don't think that statement's altogether true. We see their idols easily. They see our idols easily. They do. <laughs> we went, uh, we were over in Tanzania and, uh, here in September, and we took one of these uh, gentlemen, in Credo, in fact. Yeah, it was Credo. We took him with, uh, with us, uh, Tim's and us. Uh, we had the Land Rover full of people. We went the, the couple of hours across the whole Rukwa Valley to the other side to, uh, I don't know if any of you remember the name Ted Rabinold uh, years ago when we took the walk across the valley, went to see Ted Rabinold and then the mission they have over there and nearly perished of thirst, uh, Rick Hess and some of us. Anyhow, we went over, we went on a Land Rover this time, drove rather than walk. And uh, we took uh, this African brother from Credo from Ibuna the little lowly village of Ivuna. And uh, we get over there to this mission compound, and this is not missions like Tim does missions. This is missions like evangelicals do missions. This is 
up on the side of the mountain where the spring comes down over the mountain and there is a beautiful oasis, a beautiful house, uh, several houses, a clinic, a hospital, you know, and all those things are, you know, as far as housing, hospital, and what they're providing, it's wonderful, but I, I'm just, just going to a point here. Anyhow, uh, we had this, this uh, cradle with us, and of course he, uh, and then of course the missionaries there, they were very different than us, you know, very, very different, American, you know, typical American people. Uh, not saying they don't love Christ, I'm not judging them that way, but just looking, I'm trying to uh, help you see the picture that Credo is going to see as he comes in there. And so he observes all of this. This uh, There were servants doing the cooking. Uh, the, in fact, the missionary lady, there was someone there filling in for a time while the other missionary was home in furlough, and the missionary lady said, well, sometimes she just misses not being able to cook her own meals because there's Africans do the cooking. Anyhow, Gives you a little picture of it. And Credo observes all of that. On the way back, he says, you know, y'all ought to take them the gospel. <laughs> so, they see our idols, don't they? You know, we see theirs, they see ours. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just a, you know, any, any of you would feel very comfortable living in that house. Uh, uh, it's just a beautiful place. Uh, using a spring off the mountain to water the the plants and growth around there and grass were the only place you'll see grass. You know, it's beautiful. Beautiful retreat if you're tired of dusty Ivuna. So, they see our idols. That's where we're going. All right. What, uh, idolatry is a worship of idols. Well, let's uh, go a little further into this. What is worship? You know, when we worship God, this morning we worshiped God in singing. What's something that those songs do as we are singing them? Are they, uh, do those songs kind of kick God in the mud? Oh, God, you're no good. Is that what those songs do? They do exactly the opposite. They lift Him up. You're high. You're holy. You're wonderful. You're great. You're magnificent. The worship, it exalts God into the highest place of honor in our hearts. And in our lives. That's worship. It's putting God uh, if, in His rightful place, which is obviously the highest place. Worship. So if somebody, you know, the, uh, the, um, the Tanzanian who doesn't know God, but he knows, has some for limited uh, understanding of gods, and so he wants to worship gods, and so he, he bows down to them, you know, idols, clay and dirt and wood and whatever. And he ascribes worth to them. He attributes his good crop to them. He attributes his good health to them. He ascribes worth to that dead, dumb thing that can't talk or do anything. But he's ascribing worth to it. It's worship. <clears throat> worship is ascribing worth to something. And when we worship God... We ascribe worth to God. We place, when we worship God, we place God in the highest place of worth in our hearts. And that's what we should be doing. We should be placing God in the highest place of worth. There is nothing that should even come close in our hearts. 
to hold the value that God does. Nothing should. So, Hebrews 13, verse 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Did you catch the hidden message in that verse? He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He, God, wants us to be totally satisfied in Him. He wants us to be totally at rest in Him. He wants us to be, uh, He wants our satisfaction and our contentment to be wrapped up in Him. He wants to be the focus of our satisfaction and our contentment. When we move away from that, when our satisfaction and our contentment moves away from God, and our satisfaction and our contentment moves into the things, into the things that are inside this box, in my, my, my life or your life, whether it is the, uh, you know, I, I start to find my contentment in acquiring possessions. Or I start to find my contentment in climbing the, what do you call that ladder? I forget. Corporate, Corporate ladder, whatever. Or whether I find my contentment in uh, becoming a, uh, an expert uh, medical professional, you know. There's all sorts of places and all sorts of ways that we can deviate from God's intent that we would have our contentment and satisfaction and rest in Him. And when we move away from that and we start to focus our heart's satisfaction and attention and worth on something other than God, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. We have just brought God down and we put something else up there. And it's idolatry. God wants to be all that we need. He wants to be that to us. Yes, We will work. You know, we men, we will work. We will hold a job. We will bring home a paycheck. Most likely. Most of us will. We have families to provide for. I will plant crops next year, Lord willing. And I will hope that they'll bring a good price. I prefer not to farm to lose money. I prefer farm to make a little money. You know, uh... That is, that is going to be a part of our lives. But what place does that hold in my heart? In relation to God. And my rest and my contentment in Him. <clears throat> so covetousness is idolatry. Let's move on and consider what are some of the areas where we are tempted to be covetous. You know, we 
had that scripture in Exodus where it talks about uh, not coveting our neighbor's house, our neighbor's wife, our neighbor's manservant, men, maidservants, oxes and asses, and of course today we'd say tractors and trucks. But again, you know, just back to our illustration, here is your box. Here is you, and here's what's all in that box. And how does your heart find itself with what's in that box? There's so many areas that this goes. You know, we can look at a neighbor's house and and covet it. Wish that our house were that way. Go get the landscaper to put the landscaping in so ours looks like that. Add another porch or a couple of roofs to it because we want it to match the neighbors. Well, we're not usually that obvious with it, are we? But we have to examine our hearts, don't we? You know, it's it's actually possible to covet a neighbor's wife, not or a na- or a neighbor's husband, not maybe not even necessarily from the standpoint of uh, of uh, we tend to uh, equate uh, gender attractions to those kind of things, but it might just be from the standpoint of of uh, leadership, you know, or success, uh, apparent success, you know. Uh, sometimes uh, a wife is tempted to uh, look at it at another man who's seeming to really prosper in his business or he leads his family exceptionally well and she can begin to covet that. What if my husband would only get his act together and lead out in the family a little more like he does. They've only get this business thing on the road once. And a wife can actually start coveting her neighbor's husband. Or it can be the other way around. We can look at our neighbor's wife and begin to covet her for various reasons. We can covet his business. We can covet his... uh, His... uh, Possessions, his stuff, the things that are in his box, maybe aren't in ours. <clears throat> we often speak about, when we talk about covetousness, and even the scripture tends to refer a lot to material possession, even that uh, this scripture in Luke, there uh, the Lord rebukes the person who has laid up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, covetousness definitely comes down home there. But it goes further than that, just like we were saying, some of the examples that we gave here. You know, it can be, we can covet our neighbor's talents, you know, his abilities, the gifts that God has perhaps given him. Talked about gifts earlier. God gives gifts to the body. And he equips people for ministries, you know, in various ways in a body, body of Christ. And we can sit inside that body and covet 
each other's gifts, you know, in a wrong way. Wish I could do what he does. Boy, he does it so well. If only I could do that, you know. Scripture in the 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11 says, But all these worketh the one and selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as they want. Is that what it says? As he will. As he will. The Spirit of God gives gifts and abilities to people according as he will. Not according as we want. And it's good to remember that. God made different people. God made people different. God gifts people differently. And you and your personality are not a mistake. Yeah, you're not a mistake. God didn't somehow forget to put something in the recipe when he made you. He didn't. God wants you, with your personality and your gifts, to serve His body just the way you are. And I say that not meaning that, uh, you know, if, you're, if a person is not walking in the grace of God, not living a victorious life, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about you as a person, your character, you know, what you excel in and what you don't and all those kind of things. <clears throat> God wants you. Just the way you are to be useful in his body and to use you in his body. And so, uh, may we do that and not covet what someone else has, what someone was, the abilities that someone else may have. How about our neighbor's successes, you know? How do we handle it if our neighbor succeeds in his business venture or some effort that he put forth? And maybe we made a similar effort and it failed. How do we handle that? Maybe his crops outperformed mine. What goes on in our hearts? Is it covetousness? Or is there a rest? Are we finding our all in God? And our spirit is at rest, even in the middle of those kind of things. <clears throat> How about coveting popularity? Oh, let's, I missed one here. How about coveting success? Not for necessarily for the material gain, but for the reputation and the prestige. Is that a possibility? Does covetous always have to do with actually tangible stuff? Or does it go right down into our spirits? And, yeah, we could actually be in a place where money and possessions don't mean a whole lot to us. But prestige and popularity might. And we might desire the success just so that we're looked up to. And so that we're, you know, we've... We've accomplished something. We did it. 
talking about temptations that we might face. We can relate to that, can't we? And you probably have others that you think about. The next one, coveting popularity. You know, maybe the guys covet to be popular among the girls. May I say that? Or the girls covet to be popular among the guys. I trust that Christ has sanctified us in those things, but those are realities that where we live, what we face. Maybe it's popularity in the church or popularity among our colleagues. How about a pastor? Does a pastor ever face a temptation to covetousness? Earl's shaking his head, no. <laughs> we, had, we got two brothers disagreeing here. <clears throat> well, you know, in this church, and it's not this way everywhere, but it's not a paid position, so there's nothing to boast of there. There's nothing to, you know, be covetous about on that level. Um, so that, I guess we can erase that. But are there other ways that covetousness can enter into the heart of a pastor? Maybe I make myself too vulnerable here. You know what? If we're not going to be vulnerable, we're not doing church. You know, there's a release and a freedom in being vulnerable. And... uh I thank God for that. Where was I here? Okay. Yes. How how about a pastor? Does he face a temptation to covetousness? You know, the the uh, the desire for success can be every bit as captivating to a pastor as it can to the businessman out there. The desire for success. The desire to lead a church that succeeds. The desire to lead a church that grows. The desire to, to have a church body that makes an impact. You see that church over there? Boy, they're really making a difference. People are really going there and boy, the Spirit of God is moving there and they had revival and Think a pastor faces temptation of covetousness, desiring those kind of things in a wrong way. Obviously, we should be desiring that God would be moving and that things would be happening. But what happens when it seems everything else is happening over there or over there? And this Sunday, a few less show up and then next Sunday, a few less show up again. Covetousness. Think that's a problem? Think that's a potential? <clears throat> how about being that uh, how about being that preacher that everybody wants? Everybody's calling on him. 
think there's a desire, there's a potential for covetousness to covet that kind of opportunity, you know, where you're the wanted man. Everybody wants you to come preach their church. Those are real things. Those are real things. We can covet all those kind of things. You know, this this matter of covetousness just doesn't leave any of us out. It just doesn't leave any of us out. It's a very real issue that um, that we as human beings face, and the, the Word of God exhorts us concerning it. <clears throat> Let's go on and just consider for a few minutes yet what should we do about the sin of covetousness. Jesus gives us the first warning that I'd like us to consider in Luke 12, that scripture that we've already looked at, Luke 12, verse 15, when he says, Take heed and beware of covetousness. And the first word I'd like to say to us is beware. Beware, don't consider yourself to not be vulnerable to this. If you do, you are in a dangerous place. Beware. You know the scripture uses that word beware on a, on a few occasions. And uh, in fact, it's interesting, it's used a lot. Jesus uses it a lot with the Pharisees and the scribes. And he's talking to the group, he says, beware, beware. It's most common usage is in that kind of context. But when he came to the subject of covetousness, he used that term again. Beware. It's like, be on your guard. Be on the lookout. This is a sneaky one. This one comes up behind you and gets you when you're not looking. This one is sneaky. Beware. Take heed. Don't dismiss this warning lightly. We are all vulnerable to this one. <clears throat> in Exodus, when, uh, when Moses led the, you know, led the children of Israel out and uh, Moses was trying to do all the work and he was totally overworked and they were wanting to select people to be over the hundreds and the thousands, etc., etc. And look what the qualifications were. In verse, just listen to this. Exodus 18, verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place them over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Hating covetousness. I'd like to recommend that to us also. Beware and Hate covetousness. Hate it. Despise it. When you see it in your own life especially, hate it. If you hate something, you feel like killing it, right? Maybe that's the way we need to treat it, with some tenacity. I'm going to cast you down, you know, humble ourselves and hate it. <clears throat> You know, in order to hate it like we should, we have to see the severity of it. 
You know, and to God, it's not a little matter. He has it. Uh, he has it listed there with the the uh, abominable sins that won't enter heaven. So it's not a little matter with God. And so, in order to hate it like we should, we need to see the severity of it. <clears throat> and of course, repent. Repent. Turn around. Turn away from it. You know, sometimes in dealing with things, we have to do like Jesus said. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Sometimes to deal with something, uh, and we realize it's a real problem, we actually just simply have to go and physically attack it. In other words, if I find myself being incredibly possessive of what I have and wanting it for myself might be a good time to just evaluate that attitude and realize it's wrong and actually go in there and start giving some of that out on purpose because I'm going to do a death blow to my covetous heart. Just go and divvy some of it out. Go find some need somewhere and, and start meeting somebody's needs and in the end, you'll probably be tremendously blessed. That kind of act, uh, repentance, where we just we deal with it. We <clears throat> maybe we find ourselves in a place where we're coveting a position. Maybe we just need to step down. You know what? I'm going to do a death blow to this heart of mine that's wanting to be up on the top of the ladder. I'm going to purposely go down a couple rungs and. Those kind of things. I'd like to close again with this verse in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He is desiring that we would find our all in all in him. Find our contentment Find our satisfaction, find our peace, find our rest in Him. If we're able, let us kneel together for prayer. Our Father, we again just bow in Your presence here this morning. We open our hearts to You. We realize that, Father, you understand us so much better than we understand ourselves. And we ask that your Spirit would tenderly reveal to our own hearts, each one of us, myself, and all of us together, where these tentacles of covetousness may have evaded our heart and our lives. Invaded. Lord, free us and lead us in a right path. God, we we are so grateful to you. Grateful that you're merciful to us. Grateful that you open our hearts to understand our needs in various ways and grateful that we can turn away from selfishness and 
turn to you, Father. So, Father, again, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the many, many subjects that it covers that we can gain wisdom and strength and conviction from, Lord. And I do pray now a blessing again on each one here. Continue to lead us in your path of holiness. Father, may may again, may this may each soul leave this place being refreshed and encouraged to serve Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, bless each one we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.